0: This is Neil Grayston from Eureka.
1: Now, this is Jamie Paglia, and you are watching the TV Writer Podcast.
2: Seven, six, five, four. We have main entrance. 2, 1. Booster
1: ignition and liftoff.
3: Countdown to launch. Fall TV 2010 on the TV Writer Podcast, partner of Script Magazine. Hosted by Gray Jones, the TV Writer Podcast is brought to you by Script Magazine and ScriptMag.com, the leading source for scriptwriting information in print and on the web. And by Final Draft Scriptwriting Software, the entertainment industry standard for script writing worldwide. I want to welcome you to the TV Writer Podcast, partner of Script Magazine, episode four for Monday, September thirteenth, two thousand and ten. This is a weekly video podcast that brings you interviews with working TV writers and also helpful resources, whether you're working in the TV industry already or you're trying to break in. I'm your host, Gray Jones. I've got a bachelor's degree in screenwriting from York University here in Toronto, and I've also won awards internationally for my short film producing. I currently work as a reality TV editor and writer here in Toronto. Before we get to the final part of our series on the crossover between Warehouse 13 and Eureka, I'd like to tell you about a couple of resources. Firstly, you probably know that we get work in this business from networking. On that note, I am very pleased to announce that the TV Writer Twitter database is now live at tvwriterpodcast.com. It already lists over 340 writers and many more are added every day. It's a tremendous resource already and can only get better. I do need your help. Please check the list. And if you're a produced TV writer who is not listed, please let me know right away. An email link is at the top of the page. Also, please tweet about this resource. Put it on your Facebook. Tell all your friends and colleagues. Why get on the list? It can help people find you and also help you find other writers. Both are things that can lead to work. Also, it helps you get followers, which means you can interact more directly with fans of your work. You can check it out at tvwriterpodcast.com And also you can follow me on Twitter for the latest updates. At Gray Jones is my handle. And one big reason that you might want to follow me as well on Twitter is that that's the place that I call for questions when I'm going to interview somebody. So say I'm going to introduce the showrunner of your favorite show. I'm going to announce it on Twitter and maybe give a day or two for people to submit questions. So if you follow me on Twitter, you can know when that's going to be and you can get your questions in. A second resource that I wanted to tell you about is the On the Page podcast with Pilar Alessandra. Pilar Alessandra is a well-known teacher and script consultant, and she's produced almost 160 episodes of her podcast called On the Page about the craft and business of screenwriting. I've listened to almost all of them and highly recommend them as a writing resource. Uh, Recently, Pilar moved to premium podcasting, which means that you need to pay a small fee for the podcasts. The sound quality is improved, and they also give helpful worksheets and other resources to premium subscribers. The cost is only $20 for six months, and I highly, highly recommend it. They're very much worth it. You can follow Pilar on Twitter. At Page is her handle, and she gives script tips almost every day. For more information, you can go to OnThePage.tv for this excellent, excellent resource. The last resource that I told you about a few episodes ago is my other podcast, Chuck versus the Podcast for NBC's Chuck. You can find that at chuckpodcast.com. And the reason I mention it this week is because uh, on Wednesday of this week, I'm going to be releasing an interview with Chuck co-creator Chris Fedak. You'll definitely want to hear that interview. And um, as well, there are many, many other interviews with writers from that show. Uh, and some of them have even gone on to other shows after that. So, so it's a great resource. Just look for the tag writers on the website. And you can find some great interviews that can help fill the gaps between releases of the TV Writer podcast. But now, on to Eureka. Created by Andrew Cosby and Jamie Paglia, Eureka was the highest rated series launch in sci fi's 14 year history when it first aired in July 2006. Produced by Universal, it has been a strong performer for sci fi ever since, and it has been just renewed for a fifth season, despite being only midway through season four. Shot in Vancouver, Canada, Wikipedia describes Eureka like this. Set in a fictional town called Eureka, Oregon, in the Pacific Northwest, inhabited almost entirely by genius and scientists, nearly everyone in Eureka works for... Global Dynamics, a huge advanced research facility responsible for the development of all major technological breakthroughs in the last 50 years. Each episode features a mysterious, accidental, or intentional misuse of technology, which is then solved by the town sheriff, Jack Carter, with the help of town scientists. Eureka is quirky and fun, kind of like Northern Exposure meets The X-Files. I've watched it since season one and am loving it all the way. As mentioned in the two previous podcasts, Eureka recently had a crossover with Sci-Fi's hit Warehouse 13, which gave each show a boost in the ratings not just for the crossover, but also subsequent episodes. Today, I'm pleased to bring you two interviews, the first with Eureka co-creator and showrunner Jamie Paglia, and the second with actor Neil Grayston, who plays Douglas Fargo on the show, and was the actor who crossed over to Warehouse 13. Stick around after the interviews as I'll give you some information about how you can contact the Eureka writers and also some of the actors from the show. Now on to my interview with Eureka showrunner Jamie Paglia. Enjoy. So this is Gray Jones and I'm here with co-creator, executive producer and showrunner of Eureka on Sci-Fi Jamie Paglia. How are you doing Jamie? I'm doing fine, thanks for having me on, Greg. Yeah, and I want to say first of all, congratulations on getting picked up for a fifth season. Ah,
1: yeah, we're uh very excited, obviously. It's been um I think a particularly just great season for all of us creatively. We've been having a lot of fun and it's been uh, terrific to see the fa- the the fan and the critics responses, but um, you know, obviously having the network um, make make that into something tangible with a season five pickup
3: was was uh, definitely a, a nice uh, nice way to end the season. Mm-hmm. And uh, and this way you can start planning a little earlier. Definitely, we're kind
1: of just rolling right into it. We've already been been discussing what we were going to be driving to in season five, um, and you know, the back ten episodes, which are they still have not determined when they're going to air them. I'm really hoping that they'll they'll air in the first quarter of of, of next year. But, um, there's always that possibility that they'll hold on to them for, until the summertime, but that, 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 those 10 episodes are really sort of a continuation of where we're going to end up in, in this sort of two-part finale that we have, uh, tonight's episode and then next, um, I guess September 10th is when the, the finale will end, uh, will air. But we've had a plan that we were driving to that we were able to, you know, run the network through, um, a couple of weeks ago. And, and, uh, I think that they had said that they were they were a little concerned. They didn't quite know how we were going to top ourselves after this season with with um, surprises. And, oh yeah. Um, and then uh, they were happy to say that 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 uh, that we managed to do it again for them. So uh, at least conceptually, they were they were very excited by the direction that we're heading. Yeah.
3: Well, I I can't wait to see it. And and we'll get more to Eureka, but first. Um, I'd love to hear a little bit more about sort of the beginning and how, how you started, where you grew up, and and when did you first know you that you wanted to write?
1: Wow, I still haven't figured out whether I really want to write. Um, <laughs> it's always a painful process. No, I um, I think that uh, you know I really embraced it more in, in college um, and. Uh, um, shortly after I sort of started working in, in Hollywood, I, I, I did grow up in a very small town in the Pacific Northwest. I was born in Los Angeles, but I, I spent the majority of my childhood up in, in Warrington, Oregon, a population I think 2,200 when I was there. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, my graduating class from high school was 38, and I went to UC Santa Cruz and was in the English Lit and Theater um, Arts um, uh, programs and um, was writing and play, writing creative, writing both. And and uh then came down to Hollywood just not quite sure where in the mix I wanted to to be. And uh after a couple of years in feature film publicity at MGM I was um developing some projects with uh with my wife, my now wife, my then then girlfriend um uh Kristen and it, uh, we wrote uh, a feature script together and that got us uh an agent and then she decided to go off to Harvard and be you know, a, a, a doctor of uh, education, and get a real job. And I, mm-hmm. I was still slumming it, and um, sold a couple of features with um, other writing partners of mine, Dave Draffin and then uh, Andy Cosby. And then Andy and I uh, sat down for lunch one day, and uh, he had an opportunity in television, and said, uh, "Well, if we were going to do a show, what would you do?" And I, I hadn't really thought about television, honestly. I was I was so focused on writing features at that point, and
2: mm-hmm.
1: I, I said, "Well, I guess I." probably do something that's sort of in the vein of northern exposure i really could connect with that show and i like the sensibility it's my sense of humor too and that sort of you know quirky eccentric character mm-hmm. that i I've, I've personally liked to write the most and um sort of coming from a playwriting background you know you just give me two people and put them on a stage and i'll just write that all day it was um you know sort of a lot more my comfort zone and and um and being someone who appreciated science fiction you know Andy it was also you know he's sort of a true sci-fi geek and he was coming i think more from that perspective of you know the X-Files and the Outer Limits twilight zone kind of um mm-hmm. perspective and we sort of married our, i think our two uh sensibilities a bit and we went through some old ideas and came up with one that had originally been conceived of as a as a half hour animated uh, idea, mm-hmm. and we sort of said, well, what if we take that and we actually, you know, we do it as live action and expand it into an hour and find some pieces of it that we could really attach ourselves to as a as a, an audience member. And by the end of lunch, we literally had come up with uh, a small secret government think tank in the Pacific Northwest that doesn't appear on any maps, and mm-hmm. following a, a U.S. marshal who stumbles into town, transporting a prisoner and helps save the day, and then it ends up being a town uh, assigned to be the town sheriff. Um, And that premise was, you know, really what I sort of went off with and started to develop, and and we eventually sold to sci-fi.
3: Great. Now, I'm a little bit curious. You did have a little bit of science in your background. Um, You're program director on a show called Cambridge Forum?
1: Yeah, that's right. Um, It was was fantastic. You know, my father's a scientist. I grew up, you know, with um, definitely that sort of world represented and, you know, in his lab at UCLA. He was a pathologist and hematologist professor over there for 45 years, I think. Mm-hmm. And, and then uh, when Christy was getting her doctorate um, back East and we were living in Cambridge and um, I was uh, at that point, I, I had sold a feature film to Akiva Goldsman that I was co-writing. And she was like, you know, you really got to get a job here. I can't. I, I'm <laughs> up classes and, and leaving me in our little tiny 400 square foot one bedroom apartment in Harvard Square. And
2: mm-hmm.
1: Uh, just like, you know, you, you need to get out of this house. I can't take it. And so she went online and at uh, at Harvard and found that there was a, an offer for this part-time position. And it was just perfect. It was the best thing ever, uh, because I got to be the program director for Cambridge Forum, which was this long running public affairs lecture series that they did in Harvard Square at the First Parish Church in Cambridge. Mm-hmm. Turkey was the, was the executive director. And and um, I basically had this this forum to be able to invite scholars, intellectuals, um, uh, sometimes actors, writers, uh, professors in various fields um, to come in and, and talk on a, a particular topic that had to do with social or public policy and design these these programs. And, and it was getting a chance to meet some of the most amazing people. and mm-hmm talk to them interview them in front of uh, in front of a live audience and then we would we would um edit those down to half hour broadcasts that we that went out on NPR and NPR affiliates every week and you know they've been doing the, these programs in Cambridge for you know 50 years now and and so it was this great unbelievable sort of resource mm-hmm. for meeting some of these people i mean getting to sit down and interview People like Tim Berners-Lee, who actually did create the World Wide Web, or Rodney Brooks from the MIT, you know, robotics lab, um, who put Sojourner on Mars, you know, sort of on and on. um, These these amazing, you know, Noam Chomsky and um, uh, Howard Gardner's been on the show, and and, um, just uh, an amazing array of of people over the years. But they they are sometimes very unique personalities. Mm -hmm. Um, and we we try very hard on the show to do justice to our our characters and 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 keep them grounded our scientists and not in any way uh uh perpetuate stereotypes or caricatures and um and it's it, It's fun to be able to sort of mine those those um experiences for people that we end up creating for the show yeah uh, as I've said, their brains sometimes work differently. Tim Berners-Lee his his mouth literally cannot keep up with his brain. He talks so fast. Mm-hmm. <laughs> At one point, it's Tim, you got to slow down for the rest of us. We can't, we can't, <laughs> we can't decipher what you're saying. Yeah, uh, but uh, it was an amazing experience. I was there for about five years.
2: Yeah, well, that's
3: that really shows in the show. I think I, I know. I I grew up a little bit of a science and math geek myself, and and. One of the things that i i really connected with with eureka in the beginning was these were people and people that i i just believed um as much as it was humorous and as much as there was this fantastical element of of these strange devices and things then you had a really real looking person operating the device and it it was what pulled me into the show
1: oh that that, i'm very happy to hear that we it's something that we're definitely cognizant of and 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 we have a staff of writers who are very interested if they're not um you know card carrying sci-fi geeks themselves most of them have either some background or really great interest in just the field of science and technology and, and they do a lot of their own research Bruce Miller who is um you know co-show running the 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 show with me this year um he loves to do that he loves to just go off and and dig into, uh, you know, researching, you know, a particular area on the internet and coming up with something great. You know, we have uh, a lot of fun, I think, in those early stages of coming up with an idea and then trying to find a way to ground it in something that's real. And then Kevin Grazer, our science advisor at JPL, keeps us honest.
3: Mm-hmm. Well, and and also you get have a little bit of a, a break in that Colin Ferguson playing the everyman is how mm-hmm. you enter the world. And so you always yeah. have that he's got to break it down into layman's terms um and i think that helps the audience to be able to not you know not be scared away by the science yeah exactly it, it's it, it's it's that balance between
1: um you know wanting to make sure that the tech talk uh is as accurate as you can make it but also have it be understandable and relatable for a layperson and um you know that's that's always the balance. I think we try to, you know, to strike and, uh, especially, explaining what it is that's actually happening.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: And then another balance that you have to strike is the tone. Maybe you could talk a little bit about maintaining that, like it's comedy, it's quirky, but at the same time, you do have some intense situations and drama. I mean, I think I, I think for all of us, and you know, I'll I'll only speak for myself, but
1: for me, in coming into, you know, creating the series, it was really important that. That at the heart of an episode, the A-story science problem really wasn't what it was about. That Mm -hmm. it's ultimately about our characters, and it's about whatever those conflicts or or struggles that they're going through. And that ideally, any episode really should be able to stand on its own if you were to strip away the science. Mm -hmm. And you would still care. And then we have the sort of added advantage of this toy box that we get to play in with with the sci-fi tech of it that can be the catalyst that helps those um you know particular thematic dramas play out and we do look for ways to sort of have those tie in thematically when we're breaking down episodes but you know for me i think that it's it's my sense of humor but it's also um i i like i like to sort of try to use the comedy as a release of tension for mm-hmm. our show that if if you you know you have this hyper realistic backdrop of the of the town that if you're if you're not careful can pull you out of uh, your investment I think in, in in the series and that the characters and what they're feeling um, you know whatever um, emotions that they're they're going through um, tragedy that they're going through elation that they are the ones that you know ground us and, and make us really care about, mm-hmm. about the show Um but at the same time, <clears throat> we try not to take ourselves too seriously. I think that where I think we sort of have found uh, an audience and they've embraced us, and we've been very grateful for it, was that we were we were sort of doing something that wasn't quite the norm. Um, you know, there you know some of the shows that were our favorite shows, you know, the Battlestar Galactica and Star Trek: The Next Generation, and in, in in other like shows that um, that uh, were more in the space opera world um, they were they were there there were definitely dramas
2: mm-hmm. um,
1: there wasn't a lot of humor there and I think for us we wanted to be able to to laugh at ourselves a little bit and have our characters laugh at each other a bit and that so it is for me that I think that the, the comedy is it, it, it again it gives you um, a little extra suspension of disbelief and and um, and release of tension in a moment, ideally where you're you're really sort of engaged with our characters in in some truly emotional way.
3: Yeah, I don't know if you know, I also um, have done a podcast for Chuck on NBC for a long time. Uh-huh. And that's a show that uh, it's very funny. There's lots of great action, really, really great characters, but it's at times tough to describe. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of people who just haven't discovered the show. And once they discover it, they're like, wow, this is a cool new world. How did I miss this? I mean, obviously, you're doing great numbers for sci-fi, but uh, do you do you find it's hard to explain the concept to people sometimes?
1: I know that we, we were kind of forging some new territory in this sci-fi-dramedy um, kind of hybrid. Um, it wasn't something I, that I think we were really cognizant of in terms of you know, the early days, it really was just, Oh, we have this idea that we really kind of like. And, and then these characters um, start to come to life and, and, um, and you like them. And then you, you know, once you cast them and you see who's actually s- saying those lines and, and they're bringing those characters, you know, really to, to, to new heights, you, uh, you start to just realize that you're going in some new directions. So I guess in describing the show, I, I, I really just sort of think of it as it's, it's a small town, eccentric, um, you know, dramedy that has elements of science fiction. Mm-hmm. I don't think of us as a sci-fi show necessarily. it's not, it's not what comes to mind for me yeah. first. Um, I think that <laughs> one of the, the benefits, um, that we've had uh, for the sci-fi channel has been that well, as Mark Stern said, when, when he bought the pitch from us, he said, you know, I didn't quite know what we didn't have in our schedule until I heard this one Hmm. because it was, it was an original uh, drama dramedy um, that was earth-based. So um, you could bring in ideally uh, audience members that wouldn't necessarily be the first ones to jump onto another space opera or a more traditional sci-fi kind of concept that, um ideally, for me again, it was like okay, I think that most people have uh if they don't have a personal sort of um connection to the uh, the dynamics of a small town um they're at least aware of what you know what a quintessential small town sort of seems like it would be, and um the the kinds of dramas and conflicts of those people in those in those idealistic kinds of communities mm-hmm. um, you know would experience, and so it it was relatable in a way yeah. that um, that uh, didn't require you to be a, a necessarily a fan of science fiction and um, and we were able to bring over uh, millions of new viewers to the channel who um, hadn't come to see sci-fi channel necessarily because they weren't looking to go to a sci-fi show they mm-hmm. just they they sparked the concept of the show. And um, one of the, the, I think, the most frequent comments that, that you know, we, we got early on and, and still do. I mean, it's been nice to see that this season's reset has created a number of new fans who hadn't discovered the show before mm-hmm. and are now going back and, and watching, you know, seasons one through three. And and we try to make this season be standalone enough in a way that, um, that the reset would allow new viewers to come into the show and not feel lost. Uh, mm-hmm. I think that you know, frequently you hear a, a season four and you feel like, well, it's too late. I can't really, I can't jump into that one. And this is, this is a, one of those, those times where you really can. And then if you go back and watch earlier episodes, it'll allow, allow you to appreciate some things, maybe on a slightly deeper level, but, um, but it's still a lot of fun.
2: Yeah. So,
1: yeah. So I guess that, you know, for, for me in terms of the, uh, you know, what it is and, and how it kind of has evolved into um, uh, the show that it is today, it's, it's really uh, it's really not about it being particularly sci-fi. It's the character dramedy
3: first, and then we have just the extra fun of all the sci-fi. Well, and it, isn't it interesting that uh, Warehouse 13 is another show that is very similarly grounded in real life, and uh, your show and Warehouse 13 are, I think, the two top performers on, on sci-fi. So I think it's pretty clear that you guys are getting new, uh, new viewers in.
1: Yeah, and so far, and, and we, you know, we are. Um, I think almost everybody on our staff were friends with the with the gang over at Warehouse, and and uh, we're very happy that their show has been doing so well too. And you know, they had developed that one to be, a, uh, I think, a sister show for us, and 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 you know, finding that similar tone and and relatability. Um, and uh, I, originally, we were supposed to air one after the other on Tuesday nights, but they got. Uh, scheduling conflicts before we ended up shuffling things around. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is—it's—it's it's nice that I feel like you know, there's there's sort of we opened up some maybe some new doors to uh, um, to viewers who would nece- not necessarily um, be watching a, a traditional sci-fi show that they're mm-hmm. able to find you know, what they're what they're really attaching to are the characters um, in a, a slightly unique world.
3: Yeah. And we're particularly interested in the, uh, the crossover. I was just speaking to Jack Canney yesterday and, and he said, I guess it was Comic-Con 2009. You guys started talking about it.
1: Yeah. I, you know, I, 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 I came down, you know, sci-fi channel takes over, um, you know, one of the hotels down there, um, you know, pretty much every, every year. And, uh, I came down the morning after we had all done our panels and, and um, Jack Kenny was having breakfast with Saul Rubinek, and Saul had played Carl Carlson on our show and was a mm-hmm. very part, big part of our mythology in seasons one and two. And, um, and so I joked, I said, gosh, we should do a, a crossover episode with, uh, with Saul and Saul said I could play both characters and, I like, oh, would it be, <laughs> you know, is Artie Carl's twin brother or, you know, was it, was, was he, was he pretending to be, did Carl Carlson actually end up at the warehouse and he was, uh, um, he assumed this new identity of Artie and we started joking about all these things. And I said, you know, we really could actually do a crossover for our shows. I mean, we're, we're, you know, they were developed, you know, obviously with sort of similar, um, sensibilities and, and, um, and tones. Um, and the fact that they're both, you know, c- you know, clearly it's, you know, secret government place with strange things that happen and, <laughs> uh, and two investigators who have to figure it out. I mean, it's, it's, odd uh, they're, they're cut from the same bolt of cloth. Um, it would, it would, it would be a fairly natural fit for us to do some kind of crossover. And, and so at, at first we joked about saying, well, maybe you guys would, you know, have something happen here that we could send Carter over to to help out with some particular investigation, or you've got some strange artifact that you can't quite explain, and you bring it to Eureka to sort of uh, delve into it. And um, and then we we ribbed each other for I think several months afterwards, saying, well, if we do it, and then we we do it on your show, then it's your headache. I can just send my actors <laughs> to you, and you could deal with the with the uh, the scheduling um, headaches and. And then I think that um, I don't know if it was as a result of us starting those conversations or if they were already having separate conversations at sci-fi they called and said, okay, look, we think we really want to explore this possibility and um, why don't you guys sit down. And and so we did and Bruce and I and, and, um, and Jack and, and, uh, and some of our writers sat down together and sort of said, okay, what are you doing this season on your show? And we, Revealed our secrets to each other and we found that there was this sort of midpoint where it made sense that we could send um, uh, Fargo over to their world for you know, a, a task and uh, he could have a little bit of a love connection with Claudia mm-hmm. and use that as a reasoned to, excuse to get her back over to our show.
2: Yeah,
3: and and it worked really well, uh, played, played really well and um, got a big spike in the ratings too.
1: Yeah, it was it was terrific to see that they got a big bump on on warehouse and we had a huge bump um that uh we, you know we even you know we maintained it too. Mm-hmm. Um I think that people you know that uh, uh really enjoyed the episode came back for the the following weeks and mm-hmm. it's it's been it's been terrific.
3: Cross-pollination. Yeah,
1: yeah, I mean it, <laughs> when it makes sense I really think it's great. I mean obviously those things, you know, those kinds of crossovers can be painful if they're not um, the right fit. And I think that, um, I think that, that warehouse did a, a terrific job on, uh, on their, on their side of it, you know, integrating our two worlds and our character into their world. And, um, and then, and then just Neil Grayston and, and Alison Scagliotti just have such great chemistry together, oh, yeah. um, as, as actors and their friends. And, you know, they were having just the best time getting, getting paid, to, you know, basically hang out with each other mm-hmm. and, and, play in each other's shows and make out a bit. I mean, it's not a bad gig.
3: <laughs> yeah. And uh, speaking about gig, um, okay, that's a, that's a loose segue, but uh, you've got some exciting guest stars, Stan Lee, Will Wheaton, Felicia Day. Um, how's it been working with uh, with these guys? <laughs>
1: it's been amazing. Um, I think that it, it, this season, one of the things that, that I wanted to do was – um, be able to have our scripts be finished early enough that we actually had the time to be able to go for for some stunt casting, and um, that uh, was something that was difficult in the last couple of seasons to be able to do. So, being able to have have people of of you know this caliber, um, you know people that we're fans of, mm-hmm. uh, come over and, and and play in our sandbox for a while has been uh, just really really exciting and. Yeah, you know, Ming Na is going to be on the show.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, you know, we we've already had uh, Jamie Kennedy on as well, and yeah, and Chris Chris Parnell is terrific in his episode. Um, he's in he's in our Christmas episode that will be airing in December. I think December seventh. Yeah, and uh, and we you know we're circling more. I I you know, and I I love how they've sort of come about. I think large largely just because um, we were we were fans, and in some t- in some instances friends. Uh, and Amy Berg um one of our co-executive producers was friends with Will Wheaton mm-hmm. and my sister Megan has been on me um uh for years trying to get me to cast Will Wheaton on the show and uh, <laughs> then Amy came on and said I'm friends with Will he, he he would be perfect and we had this role for for Isaac Parrish and it was mm-hmm. just sort of an an ideal um uh, time to have him uh and when he signed on I think that that opened the door to um to Felicia because um, they were friends. They give us other character for her um, that who will be in the back ten episodes. Um, uh, Holly and um, I was flying out to Phoenix Comic Con um, and they happened to put me on the same plane to travel out with with Stan Lee. And oh wow! I I of course just I I just was like a fanboy like yeah. with. Meet getting to meet Stan and get to fly out uh, with him uh, together and travel together in, in the car from the airport and everything and and he and I just uh, we we definitely connected I I mean I I think he's uh, uh, amazing it's 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 very rare that you have uh, the opportunity to meet someone who has sort of been this an icon for you and your entire you know development as a as a uh, as a writer as a as a person, I think in some ways he was, you know, he has, he's had such influence, I think on
3: so many people. Mm-hmm. Now, is it true that he asked you if he could come back? Yeah. I mean, it was
1: hilarious. I, I think within the first five minutes of talking, we realized that, uh, we kind of liked each other and, and, um, I, you know, he, he, he sort of took me under his wing. I think he's like, you know, I'm, I'm his new pet project or something. <laughs> um, my, you know, my new best, my new BFF friend, uh, Stan, uh, and, um, but immediately he said, "So you have this great show. Uh, when do I get to do my cameo?" And I said, hey, "If you're going to open that door, I am going to make you come and do it." And he uh, said, "You know, I, you just tell me when."
2: And oh, that's great!
1: By the time we had spent, you know, the whole day traveling and hanging out and going to uh, um, uh, the panels uh, together, I went to his panel and he tried to come to mind but he was getting mobbed by by fans and security mm-hmm. would let him come in um and travel back we you know there was sort of the the expectation that um that he was going to come and do a cameo on the show and so after some uh some months of trying to figure out uh, schedules and what would be the best episode to have him come Mm-hmm. Um, and, and be a part of it. We had a particular uh, plot line that it was, I think, ideal for him to come in and just be able to do a mm-hmm. a great cameo. And I have to say, you know, for me getting to write um, for Stan on <laughs> something that I, you know, co-created um, wow. was, yeah, that's kind of, that's, a, that's like a childhood dream there. Uh-huh. I learned to read Spider-Man comic books. So, you know, being able to write something for Stan and then have him come over after his take and say, was that okay? Do you want me to make any changes? (laughs) (laughs) I I pretty much, even if they hadn't picked us up for season five at that point, I I could have died a happy man. Uh But he has said that he will come back anytime. He had a great time. And and our crew and cast, I think, I've never seen them starstruck before. I mean, of Mm -hmm. all the the actors and, and celebrities that they have met over their long careers, um, Stan was the one who, when he was on set, people were sort of all on Twitter and like, is it okay if I, if I talk to him, do you think he's would sign?" Or Can I take a picture with Stan? Um, he was like, seriously, it's like you've, you've never traveled until you've traveled with Stan Lee. Very cool.
3: Well, we do, um, uh, we're getting close to the end of the time here. There are a couple of other things I did want to ask you about if it's okay. You bet. Uh, first of all, this is a TV writer podcast and I have some writing questions for you. And in particular, okay. um, are there any writing books or resources that you would recommend to new writers who are trying to break in? Gosh,
1: you know, I I, I wouldn't have any right off the top of my head. I mean, I think the truth is um, I haven't read any of those books in such a long time because I've been too busy actually just trying to write the show. <laughs> this has been seven years now since mm-hmm. we sold Pitch that I've been sort of with my head down in the thick of it. Um, but I know that there are some terrific ones out there.
3: Um and uh, and I know everybody has a different path, but if you were going to give advice to a writer who wanted to break into TV, what would what the, would that advice be?
1: Well, I mean, I think that you have to be willing to just dive into it and and learn as much as you can along the way. I mean, be passionate about your work, um, but it's you never quite know what 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 path is going to lead you, um, you know, to the the place that you're. you're where, where you want to arrive? I mean, for me, I obviously was—it uh, was a little more circuitous, um, starting off in feature film publicity, and then slowly, wi- you know, writing such stuff on your own and the side on, on, on the side while you were there. But it, it was a—it was a—it um, was an open door, and it allowed me to sort of figure out how things worked. You know, writing what you know, writing what you think you're you're good at writing, and that you're passionate about. I think is always uh, a good place to start, and mm. then. Even if it's just um you know studying the shows that you love and then trying to write um samples of those shows coming up with your own version of them and trying to uh show how you can um you know capture a voice if it's looking if you're looking to be staffed on a show that's that's an important ability you know to be able to um to mimic a voice of another show, not mm-hmm. just your um, and then, you know, write, write you know, th- that pilot that will really showcase your individual sensibilities and, and your voice um, that, uh, you know, will be your calling card as well. But, um, you know, I think that patience is, is, you know, probably one of the most important things. I mean, there are, there are people I know who it took 10 years. I'm one of them, um, mm-hmm. of, of, you know, a long way of trying different things before. You, you had one you know really hit um, but being able to uh, um, you know, not not get discouraged and continue to uh, do the work and, um, and improve and get feedback from other people at uh, uh, whose work and, and um, uh, opinions you actually uh, respect
3: and, and be able to incorporate that constructively into your own work and it just makes you a better writer. Very, very cool. And when you're, you'd have a preference for uh, when you're hiring, reading spec material or reading original material. Um, you know, I'd like to
1: ideally, I'd like to see like a sample of each. I like to, um, it's it's again, it's good obviously when you're hiring a staff person to uh, sort of figure out w- what their wheelhouse is or mm-hmm. you know, who they are as a writer. So if there's an original spec that they have that um, you know, really sort of exemplifies uh, that that aspect to to their um, abilities you want to see that you know and then as important i think in some respects is being able to uh see see how they would write your show i mean that's mm-hmm. that's always a, a little bit of a gamble as you can you could find someone who can write the hell out of west wing but may not necessarily um be able to write your show and and um Uh, And I think for us, we have sort of a quirky blend of, of, um, as you were saying, sort of humor and drama and sci-fi tech talk and procedural elements and all those things. And so uh, we've looked at at samples of writers who have done things for shows that might be in some way relatable to ours, if not um, exact. And it's it's great when you can read uh, a, a sample that someone has done. And you can see it in your head and say, "Oh yeah, this is an episode of that of that particular show."
2: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: it gives you that confidence that this writer is able to say, "Okay, this might not be my particular voice,
3: but I know how to write that mm-hmm. and to execute it." Yeah, very cool. Well, we have uh, three quick fan questions. Um, okay. One comes from Amy Berg, who asks if it's possible to quantify her awesomeness. <laughs>
1: yeah fan question from- <laughs> if it is you know i would have to say that it is impossible
3: to quantify amy's awesomeness <laughs> so, um, that's your answer right there cool and uh, lou asks does eureka check out technology websites for story ideas um definitely we check out all kinds
1: of websites and magazines and Whatever, wherever, whatever resource we have at our disposal, we will, we will mine it for the latest cool stuff um, because you just never know when um, you know, some little thing will spark a big idea. We're, we're never not looking for, for the next thing.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Very cool. And I, I think his last question we already kind of covered. He was asking about the how do you balance the lighter and more serious elements of the show? I mean I think for me
1: there's it's funny there there are a couple of times I think when I've written scenes where I know that I'm walking that line between drama and 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 dramedy and where's the where's the point where you slip into melodrama if you're not careful and um there was a scene that I wrote um uh, where Carter and Zoe were um you know sort of processing the uh, this big fight that they had and they're in the smart house and they're kind of making up, and um, you know the music and the score has been pretty emotional in the background. And um, slowly, as they as they you know they, they're making they're making up and and everything's okay, uh, they start to become aware of the music in the background, and and then and we realize we realize it's Sarah the smart house. <laughs> oh,
3: I love that scene, and
1: Carter you know and Carter says Sarah, what are you doing? And she says <laughs> you know I just thought the moment was so you know it's so sweet that you know it could use musical accompaniment yeah um you know it's like that kind of thing it's like just you know
3: walking up to the line of melodrama and then taking the sting off of it with a joke is how i see it um, oh brilliant brilliant stuff whenever possible yeah well so this uh, this season's almost done and uh, when when are you guys back and when is the show back I
1: wish I knew exactly um, how to answer that. We are, we are um, you know, we air episode eight tonight, um, and um, Amy Berg and all her awesomeness wrote this one, mm-hmm. and um, and I, I do I do think it will be a fan favorite. Uh, and after I'm, I hang up the phone with this interview, I am going to go down with my giant Nerf rifle and 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 fire at Amy, a whole <laughs> round a, bar, a barrage uh, into her office. Uh-huh. Um, but um, – and then I think that next week, I think, is the the Labor Day weekend. They're going to – I think they're either rerunning the season premiere or um, something else. And then I think September 10th, as far as I know, is our actual season finale, Episode 9, that I wrote. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we'll be airing a Christmas episode in um, on December 7th, I believe. Mm-hmm. Then the back 10 episodes is still to be determined when sci-fi is going to air them. Again, I'm, I think we're all pushing hard for it to be in the first quarter if we possibly can can make it so. But we'll find out. They'll they'll determine things. But I think for the writers, we're we're just going to take off um, sort of over the holidays, you know, about a month, month and a half if we're lucky. And then we'll just be, you know, right back into it in January
3: with season five. Yeah. Wow sure can't wait it's it's a just a fun show and it's you're guaranteed i i, I don't think there's been a week episode yet just guaranteed a, a great hour of entertainment oh thank you very much that's that's very kind of you to say
1: um i i think we've had a, a great time we've had the most amazing staff um that we've ever had this season um and uh our our Production team and crew and cast have just been, I think, so inspired by the new material that they've been doing their best work too. So mm. uh, it's it's great that um, that we've been able to bring in new fans and that old fans are appreciating the season.
2: Yeah.
3: So um, I guess that's all I have, and we've went, gone a little over time, and and I really appreciate you taking this extra time. I'm sure everybody's going to love it, and uh, I do wish you all the best. Oh, thanks, uh, Hope Eureka's like SG1 and goes ten seasons. <laughs>
1: Ah, uh, I. You know, from your mouth, I hope so. That would be that would be great. Um,
3: I really appreciate you having me on. Yeah, thanks so much. All right, take care. Bye bye. Okay, bye bye. And that was my interview with Eureka co-creator and showrunner Jamie Paglia. You can follow him on Twitter at Jamie Paglia. J A I M E P A G L I A. And now on to my interview with Eureka actor Neil Grayston. Enjoy. This is Gray, and I'm here with actor Neil Grayston, who plays Douglas Fargo on Sci-Fi's hit show, Eureka. How you doing, Neil?
0: I'm doing fantastic. It's a lovely, chilly day here in Vancouver. Curses, the summer left really quick.
3: Yeah. So this is a, a Canadian interview because I'm calling from Toronto. All right. Yeah. And uh, first of all, congratulations on a fifth season renewal.
0: Yeah, thank you. I know we're all super excited. We haven't even aired the second half of the fourth season yet. So we've got at least uh I
3: think 24 episodes coming up. Wow. Uh pretty pretty cool. And and uh, boy, the the mid-season went out with a bang. Uh I I was a little skeptical actually when when the fourth season came and that that big time shift happened. I was like, "Oh no. How 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 are they going to get uh this going?" And and I I've been really really pleased with how the episodes have gone.
0: Yeah, so we, we're all super excited over on set with it too. It sort of reinvigorated everything for us, mm-hmm. and uh, the fact that it wasn't, you know, just like a cheap little gimmick that happened in one episode and was resolved the next was uh, it was uh, kind of ballsy, uh, <laughs> yeah. I gotta say.
2: Yeah,
3: and and yet at the same time, it uh, there's been ballsy stuff done done on other shows where um, there was too much of a jump. Oh, really? Uh, yeah. Well, uh, specifically, I I, I don't want to call out but uh, i i did feel that the jump that battlestar galactica did um it it really took a few episodes for me to get back in um after so much time had passed and so many things had changed but i think with with this change it was a little different in that you got most of the relationships and so you were able to go with the few that had changed yeah i I don't know if that makes sense
0: yeah well that was the thing about like with keeping you know the the six, or I guess it's like the five originals that, you know, went back in time, keeping them essentially the same people and having their, their relationships get sort of closer because they all shared that, that common bond of going, you know, into a different timeline, I think really sort of helped everyone out just in fleshing out their characters. And it gave, I think, new, uh, new watchers sort of fresh, uh, fresh eyes for the fourth season, Kind of thing to come in. They can follow these people who are in a sort of new world as well. So they don't, you know, people, new people, people who are new to the show won't necessarily be lost because you know there's these six people who are essentially lost in this timeline as well. Mm. And they kind of get to go along in the ride with them.
3: I think. Absolutely. So so we'll get to uh, Eureka a little more in a bit. But uh, first of all, I want to get get to know you a little bit. You're a fellow Canadian. You grew up in New Westminster.
0: Oh, I was born there. I actually live there now. But mm-hmm. uh, I grew up in a place called Port Moody which oh, okay. is uh, another suburb of Vancouver. I think our fancy little title was the City of the Arts. Very
3: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> cool. Yeah, I've, I've got family in uh, North Vancouver and Abbotsford. Uh, so, okay. Yeah, I go there Very pretty cool. frequently. I got family in Abbotsford too. Yeah. So when did you start acting?
0: Um, I guess uh, in high school, I I was, you know, pretty big into the drama thing at school, but professionally, um I think I booked my first uh, paying gig when I was 19 mm-hmm. or so, and that's when I sort of, you know, got got an agent and all that kind of jazz. So I guess professionally since 2000.
3: Mm-hmm. And you've been a recurring role on a few shows: um, Edgemont, uh, Wonderfalls, and Godiva's. Um, yeah. Actually, Small World. Uh, uh, a guy I went to school with, uh, Graham Clegg was the showrunner for Godiva's. I'm sure you know. Oh no way! Yeah, oh, that's funny. Yeah, I haven't went seen to him post. in a while. Actually, yeah. nice guy. Yeah, he's uh, he's back in Toronto here, and but I guess Godivas was in in Vancouver.
0: Yeah, that was a, a very Vancouver centric show. Hmm.
3: Um. So, uh, talk about when you first came upon Eureka. What was how did you come upon it?
0: Um. Well, you know, just kind of the standard actor thing. Um. My agent called and said I had an audition and uh, sent me the sides and the script and uh, I read it and I. Pretty much loved it right away. It was, uh, the script itself was so well written that you could just, you could see the show already. That's what I find like a really great script. You don't need to sort of dig through all the, uh, the descriptive, you know, stuff and just, and try to make the scene in your head. It just sort of makes the scene itself. And that's what this script did. And, uh, yeah, then I went and auditioned for it. Um, luckily the director of the pilot, Peter O'Fallon, was uh, I had not actually worked with him before but I'd met him before he did an episode of Wonderfalls that mm-hmm. uh when I, I lived in actually Toronto filming that um we had gone out to dinner a bunch of us to a Korean barbecue and uh he remembered that I was a big fan of the ox tongue because no one else wanted to touch it and so I <laughs> ate everybody's ox tongue which was delicious
2: uh-huh. and
0: uh yeah we just had like a fun sort of 20 minute to half an hour audition where he just had me do the role like 50 different ways, just as many random things as you could think of. And then uh, I think it was a day later I heard that I got the part, or two days. It was one of those really quick ones where I left the audition going like, I didn't get that. Uh-huh. Something's weird. Because it was, uh, just felt really good. And then, yeah, I got it. And uh, the rest is uh, history, I guess.
3: Now, talk talk a little bit about um the Fargo character out of almost everybody in the show is written as an over-the-top character. Um, that must be tough to play. I mean, your instincts as an actor are often not to go there. So so how how do you bring that character in to the to this world?
0: Well, see, the funny thing was the Fargo character was probably the least developed, especially mm-hmm. in the pilot. Like, there was no real description for it. Like, just going into the audition, it was all shapes and sizes of people. It was, you know, young guys, older guys, bigger guys, smaller guys. It was just sort of this really open, like, I think the description was uh Warren King's assistant. <laughs> and that was it. I don't even think it said like, you know, nebishy or nerdy or anything like that. It was just like, that, that's that. Okay, so just got to really bring that. And um I don't know, I'm a pretty wacky guy normally. Mm-hmm. So, and just like his, the stuff that he gets into is just so ridiculous sometimes. And it's actually kind of, my difficulty is, is, not playing it over the top sometimes. Uh-huh. Although there are there are plenty of takes where I have not gone over the top, and uh, the one really over the top one has been used sometimes mm-hmm. to my chagrin. But um, <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. I'm just uh, I'm generally pretty goofy, so that's a lot of that is just me. Yeah, doing my thing.
3: Well, and and I think that audiences have really responded to your character. I mean, first of all, you end up being the punchline of a lot of the jokes, which. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> however you read that. Uh, um, people love Eureka for the humor and uh, and you get to be involved in a lot of it. Um, but uh, your character has become more and more and more central to the stories. Uh, talk about that progression.
0: Well, that one is, a, that's that's like a awesome one for me because that was actually originally, my, um, my contract was only for seven episodes a season. Mm-hmm. And like it was sort of, told to us i was like yeah he's just gonna come in for like maybe two scenes an episode give some information and you know that's it and then they just kept on plunking me in so i uh i think by season yeah season three i got all episodes produced and then you know i continued with that and i don't know i guess they just uh the powers that be liked what i was doing and um you know, I wanted to keep on letting me do it, I suppose. And so that's been a really fun one for me. And especially this season now with the whole time shift and with running GD and everything, I've got to really sort of flesh out the character and make him a bit more mature,
2: mm-hmm. which is
0: uh, a nice thing for me rather than... Because I think it was getting pretty close to him being sort of a clown
2: mm-hmm. rather
0: than like a, a character. So now I find it's fun to sort of playing as more of a human than a cartoon.
3: Yeah. Well, and and talk about then um how with this new dynamic um you've had to balance even more. I mean, on one side he's he's close to the this core group that that went through the time shift. On another side, he's he has to play the dictator <laughs> that yeah. that his alternate self has been and uh, and yet at the at the same time you're still comic relief for a lot of the scenes.
0: Yeah, and it's it's kind of like I'm exactly in the place that I, I like right now. I get to have all these different sort of facets of the character. I mean, I wouldn't want Fargo to become a super serious character and never, you know, get into shenanigans because, I don't know, that's just not me. Yeah. Um, it's Yeah, no, it's just been really fun to go, go into a scene and go like, okay, who am I talking to? Who's around? Who, how do I, what's my demeanor? Mm-hmm. supposed to be on this rather than just like, oh, it's Fargo. He does a Fargo thing. Now it's like, oh, wait, okay. So these three people are in the scene and they remember dictator Fargo. And then these three people are in the scene and they remember normal Fargo. And how do you, how do you come to the sort of the middle of that? And that's sort of been my thing for Fargo's character arc. I guess you'd say this season, it's how to, uh, how to move towards the middle, how to still be in power and, and be able to take charge, but how to do it, you know, as Old Fargo, or like original Fargo, and not as dictator Fargo, Mm -hmm. because that's also if you go, if I were to go and just always play the dictator, then again that would be going into like sort of a clowny, like oh look at me, I'm always, I don't know, it just would not. I don't think it would be as uh, as interesting. I don't think the character would be as uh, human if Mm -hmm. I did it like that. Yeah, but it is fun to play that occasionally.
3: Yeah, so it must be a lot more interesting to play as an actor.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
3: Yeah. So so what's your process when you get a script for a new episode?
0: Um well I read it and usually there's uh you know we'll have like a few other versions of the script come out like a few revisions. So and sometimes we'll revise it on the day. So I don't I don't tend to plan it super huge. I'm not uh I, I guess I, I'm more of an instinctual actor than I am a uh I don't know what you would call it but like a scholastic or Mm-hmm. Method or whatever. Like I don't generally write out a lot of notes and, uh, you know, write out a character arc or anything like that. Cause I find planning too much can really detract from just like being in the moment mm-hmm. and, you know, having the proper reaction to everything. So I generally I just, I like to get, you know, the gist of the story and know what's happening in the scene before and the scene after and keep all that stuff up. But, uh, I don't get, uh, yeah, I don't get too, uh, too scholarly with it. I just like to go in and, uh, and, you know, yeah, be in the moment.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: If, do you, do you
3: have a it. chance to ad lib? Um, we do sometimes. I mean, we, we,
0: our schedule is so tight, just like in filming science fiction in general, there's, there's a lot of effects, there's a lot of other things that go on. So you really got to get every take. You want to try to make it, you know, the best possible. But occasionally, mm-hmm. like at the end of, of a scene, uh, we'll just chuck in like something to make a little button or maybe if we know we've got the shot like a bunch of times and they just needed a different little bit of the scene, maybe, you know, towards the end, we'll do something for the blooper reel, but it's not that much. I mean, we don't, our our budget doesn't really allow for us to, uh, to goof off too much, Mm -hmm. but there's a little bit of ad living now and again, if anything, we'll, uh, we'll, Take the scene before we film it. And we'll go over it and see if there's something that just isn't really working with us, and then we'll try to, you know, alter maybe a line or move a line somewhere or something like that, or maybe shorten a line. And then of course we'll ask for permission for that. We don't just sort of go ahead and just, you know, you know, yeah, just run over what the writers have done. We, we like to make sure that it's all done in a very uh, polite manner. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so that that's about as much as we do with uh, with ad living.
3: Yeah. And what about uh, about pitching ideas for your character to the writers? Um do you do you have a chance to to say, oh hey, I had this idea for what Fargo might do or or that kind of thing?
0: I think, yeah. I think the door's open. I mean I generally I've been so happy with what they've been doing this year that nothing's really come up. They've sort of, you know, if I have like a kernel in my mind of something that I'd like to happen, they've already thought about it. Mm-hmm. They're already, you know, they've already got it you know going on so yeah, yeah but they're the the writers are amazing and they're very open to uh everything i just uh they're they're much better than me so i i <laughs>
3: <laughs> now one possible exception to that would be uh i i was reading in that interview you you did with steve uh is it aramo or aramo aramo, aramo yeah. yeah that uh that you and allison Scagliotti had been pitching something to sci-fi
0: well, it was sort of, it was a lot of different people with the ideas for that. I mean, um a few of the warehouse writers, when I first met them at Comic Con and said like, you know, we would love to have you as Fargo on our show. And it was just sort of like, it was, it, there was a lot of people, but me and Allison definitely did, uh, try to, uh, make sure that that wasn't just a little pipe dream or like, wouldn't this be fun thing? Mm-hmm. And, uh, definitely tried to go around and, uh, and make a show about how much we were buddies and how great it would be if we were on each other's shows as our characters. And, uh, <clears throat> apparently that worked out quite well, especially in the ratings. Yeah. Um, even I was just at dragon con and I can't mm-hmm. tell you how many people were just talking specifically about the crossover and how much they liked it. And, Last night I did a live chat for the uh, mid-season finale, mm-hmm. and uh, that was a bunch of like, well, "When are you guys gonna have a crossover again?" And, <laughs> you know, and it's like, "Yeah, I, I really, really hope we do." I'm pretty sure that's—I'm uh, pretty sure it's gonna happen. I haven't heard anything, but I don't see why they wouldn't want to do it. Yeah, because uh, it was successful on all fronts.
3: Yeah, well, I'd, I've shared a couple of times on the podcast here that I had never heard of Warehouse 13 until the crossover, and now I'm a big fan of their show. So. I'm I'm proof that it definitely worked and That's um, awesome. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I got that a lot, um at well, I just get that a lot in general. A lot of people who watched Warehouse never watched Eureka or hadn't heard of it or just sort of had watched a bit of the first season and it guess didn't pique their interest and then mm-hmm. now they've come back for the fourth and then they're big fans again and they're catching up on all the seasons and everything, so it's like, Okay, there we go
3: yeah now talk about the logistics um both uh, jack Kenny and and Jamie had told me that a lot of it was just i mean shooting in Toronto and shooting in vancouver uh and the shooting schedules really being at the same time how was it to to swing to one and then come back to the other
0: that was a very hectic couple of weeks for me that's for sure um i filmed we were filming uh the episode Stoned that Joe Morton directed mm-hmm. um when i went over to do the warehouse episode. So basically all of my scenes I filmed in one day, Uh went home, got a little bit of sleep, got on a plane. Or did I get on the plane that day? I can't even remember now. I think I actually <laughs> flew to Toronto right after I did all my scenes. And then I worked... Oh, no, that was it. Okay. Filmed all my scenes on the Wednesday, flew in on the Thursday, did like, you know, all my getting set up, preparations, things like that. Filmed all day Friday, Every single scene flew back to Vancouver on the Saturday to do a photo shoot, then flew back to Toronto on the Sunday and then worked Monday through Friday, uh, wow. almost every scene. It was, uh, and then flew back on the Saturday or Sunday, or something like that. It was, uh, yeah, that was hectic.
3: And for, for all our American listeners, that's like going LA to New York to LA to New York to LA, big flights.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's not a, not a short flight. That's, uh, that's for sure, but it oh, yeah. was fun. It was nice being back in Toronto. I had lived there for six months, and it uh, it was uh, there was a lot more buildings than I remember, a lot less <laughs>
3: uh, parkades and parking lots, and yeah. a lot
0: more, yeah.
3: Oh, and it must have been a blast being with Allison. Now, now you guys just met at Comic Con last year, right?
0: Yeah, two two thousand nine.
3: Yeah, mm-hmm. but you've be- yeah. become fast friends.
0: Yeah, we just sort of we I don't know. She came up to me at the uh, sci fi party. We'd briefly been introduced in the lobby of the hotel by uh Saul Rubenek. But then she came out to the party and she was like, Hey, my character is like your character on my show. We should be friends. And mm-hmm. I was like, okay, cool. And then we just sort of were inseparable for during the party. And yeah, we kept in touch. She came out to do uh, an episode of Smallville. So we hung out a bit and I went down to LA for a bit in December and January. And yeah, we just sort of kept on keeping in touch and stuff. And uh yeah, so it was great. I got, paid to hang out with one of my best buddies and work with her. And we have very similar work ethic. Mm-hmm. So it was like, all right. That's always the fear if you work with a friend and they're not very good or they're uh-huh. just sort of like lazy or something like that. But mm-hmm. it, was, uh, it was a very, uh, yeah, it was an awesome couple of weeks.
3: Very, very cool. So so just a couple more things. Um, one is that you've gotten to do a, a couple of really fun throwbacks. Um, you were the Fargonator um, yes, I was doing doing a Terminator throwback in in the first episode of fourth season, and uh, and then you got to wield a lightsaber on Warehouse 13. Um, what what's the most fun kind of throwback like that 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 you've done?
0: Yeah, you know those two. I also got uh, in the episode Monstrosity. I had the whole "Come with me if you want to live" thing, where they made yeah. it look like I was a super awesome driver. Yeah, which is funny because I just learned how to drive. Uh, standard for the show (laughs) I've never done it before I think I've stalled that car a billion times but um yeah it is a toss-up between the uh the Fargonator thing and the lightsabers because Terminator 2 is the first R-rated movie I ever saw in a theater Mm -hmm. and I was just for some reason when I was like when I first heard about it I guess I was, what, 10 or 11, Mm -hmm. and I was just obsessed with it, and I was buying, like, Terminator 2 magazines, even though I knew I probably couldn't get to see this movie, and I just thought it was so cool. And then when I got the pilot, when I realized I was working with Joe Morton, I was like, oh, my God, it's Miles Dyson, and I'm just working Uh with him. And then, you know, to go and do the whole Terminator scene, even though I was basically naked except for a patch of something covering up (laughs) my crotch in front of an almost entirely new crew at night, in the rain in March. Um it was still it was awesome. I think it like cut together really cool and yeah all that. And oh, then it was hilarious. Killing robot spiders while wielding a lightsaber, a makeshift steampunk lightsaber. Uh-huh. That's just, I mean I think that might be the most radical scene I've ever done. Yeah. Where it's just like, oh right, it all fits. So yeah, <laughs> those those two are definitely my favorites. I've had a lot of fun this
3: season. Yeah. Yeah. Very, very cool. Now I mean your your character Looks like he's um, the butt of a lot of the jokes, but you've got a black belt in Taekwondo. Um, I I got a fan question from Lou Sitzma, and he asks if we're ever going to see these skills on camera.
0: Obviously, I I hope I can bust them out at some point. It's been a while since I've trained; like, I think now it's been thirteen years or something. But it's sort of like a bike. I Mm -hmm. still remember a bunch of the stuff, and I'm strangely, for my, for how little i am active i'm uh, still pretty limber mm-hmm. so i mean i guess a lot of the uh a lot of my my sort of training for taekwondo and i was also in wrestling in high school
2: mm-hmm.
0: um a lot of that goes into just like the little stunts that i do that some of them you don't really get to see too much of but mm-hmm. i mean i do other than like the really dangerous ones that i really shouldn't do mm-hmm. uh they let me do most of my own stuff which oh, cool. is awesome And I mean, sometimes some of them all, you know, if it's like, okay, so we're really far away in a helicopter with a camera and you're going to be running back and forth in this field. Sometimes I'll
3: let the stunt people do that one.
2: (laughs) (laughs) It was like, oh. Take
3: 23. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, um, the last one is what can we look forward to in the back half of the season?
0: Um, in the back half, well, I can't really give any spoilers, but. Uh, Zane and Fargo get into a little bit of a misadventure in the first episode. Mm-hmm. That, um, that kind of informs one of the huge sort of plot arcs of the season. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also, uh, there's more Beverly stuff yeah. involved. Um, and th- those are kind of the, the two big things that are happening in the season thus far. I mean, we're yeah. only on episode six, so. I don't I know like the thing that Zane and Fargo do definitely goes through the entire thing. But uh everything thus far definitely is is big in the first half.
3: And and working with uh Stanley and Felicia Day, Will yeah, Wheaton. And Will Wheaton.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Which is awesome. They're uh yeah, Stanley he just came on for a little cameo, but that was pretty amazing. We had people uh on set that I don't think have ever come to set before, wow, like people from the office and things like that. I think they had some people um hellcats films on our lot as well. I think mm-hmm. some people from the crew there got wind and sort of came by to see if they could catch a glimpse of uh the generalissimo. <laughs> uh, he was a great guy, actually, he was really funny, really nice like both self deprecating and uh and boastful, but in a funny way he was uh he was really good fun to have on set mm-hmm. and then will and Felicia are just a perfect perfect. Uh, blend for yeah. the cast and and the crew they're both really cool they're both funny and sarcastic and really hard workers and it's just uh yeah they're they're fitting in quite well i hope to uh have a lot more of them
3: very very cool well thanks so much for for joining us on the podcast i i know um that you're one of the favorite parts of the show for me i uh, i just uh, love all the all the scenes that you're in oh thank you and I just love the show. I've, I've watched it from the beginning, and it never ceases to deliver. Every episode is strong.
0: Oh, wicked! Thank you so much.
3: Yeah, we we uh, we hope that it's not just season five, but six and seven with lots of lots of cool episodes. And me too. Yeah. Cool. Well, thanks so much. All right. Thank you. And uh, hopefully, we'll talk to you again soon. Indeed. Cool. Thanks, Neil. Right. Bye. 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 And that was my interview with Eureka actor Neil Grayston. You can follow him on Twitter at Neil Grayston, N E I L G R A Y S T O N. As a matter of fact, if you're watching the video version of this podcast, you can see right now Twitter addresses for twelve of the writers, for twelve of the writers from Eureka, and several of the actors. I'm sure they would love to hear from you, and you can support them by following and tweeting about the show. As we close out, I want to remind you to check out tvwriterpodcast.com for the latest episodes and information, and also the TV Writer Twitter database. These podcasts are released at scriptmag.com, but sometimes I release them a little early at tvwriterpodcast.com, so if you really are chomping at the bit, that's the place you want to look. You can contact me with your feedback and suggestions at mail at tvwriterpodcast.com, or you can follow me on Twitter at Gray Jones. If you ask me, I'll follow you back. And coming up in the next few weeks, we've got more human target writers, covert affairs, V, no ordinary family, and much more. So until next time, I want to wish you a great writing week. Bye-bye. Hosted by Gray Jones, the TV writer podcast is brought to you by Script Magazine and ScriptMag.com, the leading source for script writing information in print and on the web and by Final Draft scriptwriting software, the entertainment industry standard for scriptwriting worldwide.